Great to have you in the house of God here at Christ Fellowship Church. Yep. Yep. What does that mean anyways, yep? Where did that come from? Yep. You ever think you ever hear a word and you just think, where did that come from? Yep. <laughs> the Muppets. I don't know. Uh, who needs a message guide? Raise your hand real high. Anybody need a message guide? All right. Here we need a few message guides. If I could get some message guide getters. Some message. There's David. Thank you, David. Keep those hands up. Here you go. Praise the Lord. God is good. All the time. I like to live on the edge. All right. Open your Bible to the book of Exodus. That's where we're going to be today. So this is part two of our series called The Passover Plot. You know there's a book, have you guys ever heard of the, the book called The Passover Plot? Interestingly enough, anyone? There is a book called The Passover Plot, but it's not about what we're talking about. It's about how Jesus didn't really die and they drugged him and, and uh, you know, it was all a great big uh, political thing. And, um, but that's not the plot I'm talking about. That's not the plan I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's eternal plan of redemption. Amen? Not something someone dreamed up for some political or personal end. But this is the eternal plan and purpose of God. And so in this message, not just this message today, um, but in the message of the gospel, in this message... Remember we said last week that we need to live keeping the end in view. And we used the scripture from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 and 23 where it talked about Christ. Uh, He gave all things, Christ putting all things under his feet, making Christ head over all things unto the church, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. In John 5.39, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says to the Pharisees, he says, You search the Scriptures trying to find eternal life, yet they testify of me. Christ is the end. I mean, this is the reason the Scriptures are given to us. This is the reason why God is doing all that he is doing He's not the end in the sense that oh, there's Christ and now it's all over with. Not that kind of end. I'm saying everything God is pointing to is pointing to this end who is Christ. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And we also see that, that in this message of redemption, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And as we look at... This, this picture of redemption out of Exodus, sometimes I think we're tempted uh, maybe in just looking at things in a, in a more shallow way than we should. We think, well, you know, the, the Egyptians were bad and the children of Israel were good and Pharaoh was bad and Moses was good. And No, that's not the point. The point is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All people, it doesn't matter whether they're Egyptians or Israelites, all people need a Savior. All people need a Redeemer. And God has in His grace redeemed a people for Himself. Where? In His Son. And He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. God has, by His grace, Redeemed a people for himself in his son. 
And so we can say, to him alone be the glory. Amen? Amen. This is what the scripture declares. This is the good news called the gospel. So God eternally plotted his plan. He, He drew out his map, his way of salvation to redeem a people for his very own. Amen? All right, go over to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to kind of hit some highlights here. Today, specifically, we're talking about the people. Who are the people? Well, we're going to look at four primary groups or four subjects when we talk about the people of this that's, that are in this picture of redemption that God paints for us here in the Exodus. All the people in this picture of redemption suffer from the same condition, whether Egyptians or the children of Israel. All people suffer from hardness of heart, a condition the Scripture calls sin. How do we know all people suffer from this? Well, because Paul clarifies. He gives us the commentary of what the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures have proclaimed from the beginning. All have sinned. All have fallen short. There is none righteous, no, not one. They've all gone astray. My, my, what are we going to do? He says it like this in Romans 7. Who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank God for Jesus Christ. Amen? And so in this picture, all people suffer from this hardness of heart, a condition the Scripture calls sin. In Hebrews 3.19, as the writer of Hebrews is recounting again what was taking place as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt going to the promised land, and they were not able to enter in because of disobedience, which a verse later says was sin, which then ultimately in verse 19 says it was unbelief. Their sin was unbelief. And so another term for this hardness of heart, another term for this condition the Scripture calls sin is unbelief. Adam and Eve, let's go back to the very beginning, the first man. Here is Adam, here is Eve in the garden. We can say their sin was eating the fruit of the tree, but the reality was their sin was unbelief. Why did they eat the fruit of the tree? Because they didn't believe the Word of God. So their sin ultimately goes back to unbelief. They didn't believe God. And nothing has changed today. All of our sin goes back to the same point of unbelief. Hardness of heart, which is something that, that in, a, in a sense we all suffer from in some way, some form, some fashion. It all goes back to the same condition. It is unbelief. And Scripture calls it sin. So let's look at the people of this story that, that are presented to us in this picture Let's look at the children of Israel. In Exodus 1.1, God introduces to us the children of Israel. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob. These are the, the, the sons of Jacob. You remember the story from Genesis where Joseph, the guy who, who, who had the coat of many colors... He was the favored son, and Jacob gave Joseph this coat of many colors. And Joseph was this dreamer, always having dreams, and his brothers despised him. They couldn't stand that dreamer. And his brothers are off keeping their father's sheep. And here comes Joseph, and they said, look, here comes that dreamer. We are so sick of this guy. Can't we do something to get rid of him? Hey, I've got an idea. Let's kill him and tell father that a wild animal ate him, we'll take his coat shredded with blood on it and we'll, we'll make father think that he was killed by some animal and we just happened to come upon him, poor Joseph. And you know the story, they sold Joseph into slavery, they chickened out at the end, they couldn't kill him, so we'll throw him in a pit. And as they're leaving, to, leaving him to his fate there in that pit, well, you know, if he dies, he dies, but at least we gave him a fighting chance down in this pit with no food or water right out in the hot sun. 
They said, oh, wait, look, there's some Midianite traders. Let's, uh, let's sell him into slavery. Hey, we'll make a little profit, and we'll tell Dad the same story. He was eaten by wild animals. And that's what they did, thinking they would never, ever see Joseph again. This is the condition of the heart of the people that came to Egypt. So we need to be real clear up front. This picture of redemption, this story of the Exodus is not good versus evil. The Israelites are good and the Egyptians are evil. This story is about the fact and the condition of all humanity. It doesn't matter what our nationality is. We all need a Savior. We are all fallen. We all suffer from hardness of heart, whether we're Egyptians or whether we're Israelites. We suffer from the same condition. And so Israel's hard heart would be revealed in full as you read this and as you go through and we see the deliverance taking place. And if we fast forward out of Egypt into the desert, we see the hardness of heart of Israel manifest continuously through the process of their redemption here. And so Israel here, the children of Israel picture, they're a picture of a redeemed people. But how are they redeemed? Are they redeemed because they deserve redemption? Are they redeemed because they, they had good hearts? No, they're not redeemed for any other reason except God in His grace chose to redeem them. God didn't have to send a deliverer. He chose to send a deliverer. God never had to make that promise to Abraham to begin with. God made that promise. And that promise came by the grace of God. The promises, church, that we have today, they, they have come to us by the grace of God. And it would do well for us to recognize our need for His grace. That, that in this world that we live in, when it all comes down to it, if we boil everything down to the very basic, we are a people in need of God's grace. And praise God, He has poured out His grace upon His people. Amen? Amen. Praise God. That's good news. That is the good news. God has not withheld His grace. God has given us His grace. He has made known His grace in His Son, Jesus Christ. So we have this, this people, the children of Israel, a picture of a redeemed people by grace through faith, in spite of a sinful and hard heart. God chose to redeem a people. Then we come in verse 8, and we see the next player here, the next person in this picture. Verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king. Now when Joseph came, there was a king. And, and remember, Joseph was second in command of all Egypt. And here comes Jacob and the, the other 11 brothers. Joseph has his two sons there. He's married, and, and, and the children of Israel become a great multitude, strong and mighty in the land of Egypt. And now the old king that knew, he passes away. There was this succession of kings. It's, it's actually an interesting history if you read some history about Egypt. And some believe that there was actually a total shift and a total change in the, the governance of this nation. And this new king that came in didn't know Joseph. He didn't know the children of Israel, though they had been there for 400 years. He didn't know the history, he didn't know them, and this new king called Pharaoh here, he was the Pharaoh, this new king came in and, and he began to afflict the children of Israel, it says, who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, verse 9, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Now, that phrase, and so go up out of the land, there's, there's two ways you can interpret that and different commentators interpret it differently. Some say, well, what that means is Pharaoh was afraid that the children of Israel would, would leave Egypt. There's another way you can interpret that was that they would, they would just rise up and do what? And overthrow. Just like this Pharaoh and this people 
had done in their history so the children of Israel would do the same thing and rise up out of the land. Either way, you want to look at it, Pharaoh didn't want either one of those to happen. They were his source of not just cheap labor, but they, they were slaves. They were enslaved to him. So this new king of Egypt, Pharaoh, pictures the cruel mastery of sin in this world system. The heart of Pharaoh that God hardened, we need to understand this, was already hard. Why? Because he was born in sin. He was born with a nature of sin and death. His nature was no different than that of anybody else who was born in Adam with Adam's nature. So I think sometimes we read this or we read in, in Romans 9 and we think that maybe, that maybe God did a bad thing when he hardened this Pharaoh's heart. After all, Pharaoh was a good-hearted man until God hardened his heart. No, no. See, that's, we, if we don't read the Bible and we don't really think and we don't understand what the entirety of the Scripture is communicating, we might falsely believe things like that. And then we'll say things like, you know, that's just not fair of God to harden his heart. No, the reality was his heart was already hardened. His heart was already hard. God just hardened it. Or we could say it like this, God didn't break it. He allowed it to remain hard. He allowed it to remain what it already was and, and, and actually made him even more resolute in his hardness. Did God violate Pharaoh's will? No, he did not. Why? Because everything Pharaoh did was absolutely consistent with his will where did his will come from? His will came from the hardness of his heart. Pharaoh did not fear God. Pharaoh did not worship God. Pharaoh rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He rejected Moses. We'll see this. So God didn't violate Pharaoh's will. God did let Pharaoh do exactly what Pharaoh wanted to do. He let Pharaoh do exactly what came natural to Pharaoh. Why did it come natural? Because Pharaoh's heart was already hard. It was already hard. He was born with that hard heart. So Pharaoh no, never had any other kind of heart. God simply hardened what was already hard. Then in verse 9, it says, And Pharaoh says to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. So he says, let's deal shrewdly so that they don't multiply. Let's put them under hard bondage, hard labor. And that's what Pharaoh did. So we see the people of Egypt. And Egypt and her people are a type of the world. They represent the world. So here you have the children of Israel who are in Egypt, but they're not Egyptians. It doesn't mean that they're good and the Egyptians are bad. It doesn't mean that, that the children of Israel aren't sinful and the Egyptians are. They're both sinful. They're both in need of grace. They're both in need of, of redemption, of salvation. But there is a difference. Remember, God is, God is communicating something to us. He's painting a picture. So we can fast forward to the Gospels and Jesus says this. He says, you're in the world, but you're not what? Of the world. The children of Israel were a picture of God's redeemed people. The people that God would for himself redeem and save and make his very own. They were in Egypt, but they weren't Egyptians. But, but even though they weren't Egyptians, they still needed a savior. They still had the same condition that the Egyptians were born with. They still had hard hearts. They were still in sin and death. And so the people of Egypt, like their king and like the world, suffered from the hard heart of sin. They complied with Pharaoh's persecution of the children of Israel, and like Pharaoh, they did not fear God. What they feared was for themselves. They didn't have fear for God, they had fear for themselves. Do you see a lot of people motivated out of fear for themselves? Can you remember back 10 years ago, 
on the Sunday after November, uh, after September 11, 2001, can you remember how full the churches were? I can. But it didn't take very long at all for what? For all those people that filled the churches on the Sunday after September 11, 2001 to go back to their normal lives. Why? Because they didn't really fear God. They were fearful for themselves. What's going to happen to our nation? Or what, it was fear of the unknown. Well, this, this is what motivated the Egyptians. They weren't fearful of God. They were fearful for themselves. Pharaoh ultimately let the children of Israel go, not because he feared God, but because he, he was tired of the affliction. And as soon as the affliction became not even a distant memory, <laughs> he gathered his army and he takes out after him, which should tell us something. That doesn't mean the Egyptians are bad and, and, and everybody else is good. It tells us that the Egyptians are just true to their nature. See, this is the, this is the human condition. This is the condition of unredeemed man. We forget and we revert back to what? What is our nature? What is our nature? Well, the Bible says our nature is sin. And this is why we need a redeemer. This is why we need a savior. To save us from what? Plagues? No. Flies? No. Frogs? No. Lice? I don't have to worry about that. Some of you guys do. I don't. So lice don't bother me. But there's other things that do bother me, right? No, that's not the point. I don't need deliverance from those things. I need deliverance from the very nature of who I am. The thing that works in me, that holds me bondage, called sin. That's what we all need deliverance from. And the children of, Israel, of Egypt, the people of Egypt, they typify the condition of humanity in this world, in their sin. And there is a distinction. In this world, there is a distinction. We are the body of Christ. We are the church, the firstborn, the redeemed. Amen? We are the church. Where? In the world. But we're not of the world. So there should be a distinction that is seen between the world and the church. Just like there was a distinction seen between the children of Israel and the people of Egypt. There was a distinction. And the distinction became even more profound as God took them into the wilderness and gave them the law. But even before the law, there was a distinction. And that distinction spoke of and speaks of today the reality of those who are redeemed in Christ. There should be a distinction. Now, I'm not talking about some legalistic behavior modification. See, that's what we need to get away from preaching and teaching in our pulpits. Because we're not going to save anybody by convincing people to modify their behavior. Just because you live consistent with what an Israelite is does not necessarily mean you are a true Israelite at heart. How do we know that? Because a whole generation dropped dead in the wilderness. Why? Because in spite of all the things that they did outwardly that seemed like, their hearts were filled with unbelief. So this is why Paul says not everybody who's a descendant of Abraham is a Jew, is of Abraham. But those who are of faith. Not everybody that's physically circumcised is of the circumcision. But he who has had his heart circumcised in Christ. He is the one who is truly. This is what God is communicating to us. God's painting a picture. He says, listen, the eternal purpose that I had before time began, was to have a people. And I made a way for that people to be redeemed, to become my very own. And that way is Jesus. 
That way is Jesus. So, so here's the children of Egypt or the people of Egypt. Then we fast forward and there's more of the story. And we, we see pictures of, of, uh, of the grace of God here. And we see, for instance, the midwives who feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. See, they didn't, you don't have to conform to the world system. The world may tell you this is what you have to do. But, but child of God, you don't have to do that. You don't have to. And don't not do it because you're, you're afraid God's going to beat you or God's going to zap you. You should do it because there should be a love in you. And that love should come from the very nature and the very life that God has imputed to you by grace through faith. If you're only modifying your behavior because you're afraid God's going to punish you if you don't, you've missed the whole entire point. If you think you can just go out there and live any kind of life you want to, and you might fool your mama, your daddy, you might fool a bunch of people, but you'll never fool God because God knows your heart. He sees your heart. And God wants, He wants you. If you are a redeemed person, He wants you to live as a redeemed person. He wants there to be a distinction. Why? Because He wants His people to be known. He wants the world to see there is a difference between those who are redeemed and those who are not redeemed. But no one is redeemed because they deserve to be redeemed, because they've earned redemption. They're redeemed by the grace of God. And this is what this picture in the Exodus so clearly portrays to us. Israel had no power to redeem herself. She had no ability to deliver herself, to save herself, none whatsoever. But God, but God in His grace. So we come to Exodus 2, verse 1, and it says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived, had a son. Now remember, when she had this son, what was happening? The command had already come from Pharaoh to do what? To kill all the Hebrew baby boys. But the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, so they didn't kill the baby boys. But this mother, fearing for her son, she prepared an ark. Symbolism there is no accident. She she made a basket out of reeds and put tar and pitch on it so it would be waterproof. It wouldn't sink in the Nile River. She saw where Pharaoh's daughter would go and take a bath every day. And there was something, obviously, about Pharaoh's daughter that caused this woman to believe that her son would be taken in. That little boy's name, we're told in verse 10, Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. Why? Because he was drawn out of the water. What should that water have done to him? Under any other circumstance, what would that water have done to that little baby? It would have killed him. It would have drowned him. Do you see the symbolism there? Here is the most helpless of beings put in a river full of crocodiles and alligators. Who knows what else? In an ark, a vessel of salvation. And who, the most unlikely person, saves this baby from the water? Moses. So we have Moses. Moses' entire life typifies the grace of God. It was the grace of God that that enabled Moses not to drown in that river. Moses sure didn't do it himself. It was the grace of God that allowed that plan of that Hebrew mama to work. Why did it work? Because she's a good planner? No, it worked because God says, that's my plan. God says, I'm going to make that plan work. Why? Because that's my plan. God didn't use Moses because Moses had a different nature or a different heart that was not hard. God chose Moses like God chooses all of us who are redeemed. He chose him by grace. Before Moses was born, it was destined that he would be the deliverer. That little baby didn't do anything inside that ark that said, well, this must be a deliverer. No, it was God's plan. 
Like all who are redeemed, in spite of a hard heart, in spite of a sinful nature, Moses was born with the same nature you and I were born with. God didn't pick him because he didn't have a sinful nature, because he was a better man. God picked him by grace. We'll go on and we could go on and read later on and see just even Moses didn't believe in himself. Moses didn't want to be the deliverer. He didn't want to go. He had no confidence in himself to deliver the children of Israel, to lead them out of bondage. He had no confidence in himself to the point that the scripture says God got angry with him because he kept arguing. God says, fine, I'll send Aaron with you. (laughs) By the way, don't misinterpret what that scripture is saying. God didn't go, man, if Moses doesn't go, my whole plan is going to fall apart. Well, let's see. Let's, uh, Aaron, would you go with Moses? Uh-uh. God knew. There was a reason for everything. Church, there's a reason for everything in your life. There is. I didn't say you understand every reason. But I'm telling you, I believe in a God bigger than chance and circumstance and coincidence. The God I believe in is much greater than, well, gee, what a coincidence. No, I believe in a God greater than coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence that Moses was put in that river. It wasn't a coincidence that anything happened the way it happened. Remember, let's go back. This is the eternal plan of God. Fulfilled where? In Christ, the Lamb of God who was foreordained, who was slain before the foundations of the world. There are lots of types and shadows in Moses. Moses also foreshadows the Redeemer, the one and true Redeemer, Deliverer, Jesus Christ. Amen? So our condition, let's go back and let's talk about our condition. Our condition reveals our need. In Egypt and in the children of Israel, the hard hearts of men were revealed. And in that hardness, man's greatest need is revealed. And that need is grace. It's grace. Pharaoh was God's hammer breaking through the hardness of the hearts of God's people. Tribulation will reveal our heart. It will. Look at Exodus 4. 29. So now Moses, I'm I'm fast, I'm going through the story, I know very quickly. You can go back and read Exodus and and, and fill in all the gaps. But you know Moses, he killed an Egyptian trying to save his brethren. He ends up killing an Egyptian and he runs for his life because Pharaoh gets mad, finds out Moses has committed murder against an Egyptian. And so Moses flees and he goes to Midian and he ends up meeting the priest of Midian, and he marries his daughter. And so Moses is living 40 years on what the Scripture refers to as the backside of the desert. Now, you know, that's a a backward place. If the Scripture says it's the backside of the desert, I mean, he's you talk about boondocks. I'm telling you what, Moses was living in the boondocks. He was way out there. And he had lived there for 40 years, just minding his own business, just just decided this is going to be my life here. And one day, not thinking a thing about it, he's walking and he's... Now, the mistake he made there, he's at, he's at the mountain of God. Now, he, maybe he didn't know it was a mountain of God. I don't know. And, and there is this burning bush. And Moses notices this bush is on fire. No big deal, except the bush isn't burning up. Now, that's kind of different. Usually, when bushes catch on fire, they burn up. But this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And God speaks to Moses. And so God tells him, hey, you're going to go and you're going to deliver Israel from their bondage in Egypt. They have a back and forth there and and, and Moses finally relents. God had his way. You know, God will always have his way. Do you guys believe that? If you don't believe that, let me just tell you. Whether you believe me or not, I'm telling you right now, God will always have his way. He will. God will always have his way. If God doesn't always have his way, then God is not God. That's what I believe. If God doesn't always have his way, then he's really not the all-powerful, omniscient, 
omnipotent God if he doesn't always have his way. We might not understand his way, his dealings, but I'm telling you what, God always has his way. Moses went, and he comes to the children of Israel. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. Now, you guys have all seen the Ten Commandments, right? Coming on in a few weeks. You know that part where Mo- Moses, Charlton Heston, takes that big walking stick, throws it down on the ground, and it becomes a snake, right? And then that's the rod, okay? So God gives Moses, Moses' staff. God says, look, take this staff, and, and I'll, I'll perform signs with this staff so the children of Israel will know that you're legit, you, you know, you came from me. Because Moses was like, well, how, how are they, why would they believe me? And so he does the sign. He did the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. What is this? What, this should make us think of something that, that happened in the life of Jesus. This is why the Pharisees, who is Jesus declaring himself to be? See, modern theologians might not understand this, but I promise you the Pharisees, of Jesus' day, the theologians of Jesus' day understood who Jesus was declaring himself to be. Jesus was declaring himself to be the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? The anointed one, the deliverer. So what did they say to this deliverer, Jesus? Hey, if you're the deliverer, show us a sign hearkening back to the elders of Israel right here. Okay, Moses, if you really came from God, show us a sign. God says, they're going to want a sign. Take this staff and show them the sign. And so Moses shows them the sign. So the people believed. What did they believe based on? They believed based on the sign. They didn't believe the word of God. They believed the sign. So they believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked on their affliction, then... They bowed their heads and worshiped. They saw the sign. They believed. They bowed. They worshiped. So what's the moral of the story? We need more signs in the church today so more people will believe, right? Well, that's conventional wisdom. Let me show you the problem with that. Let's go to Exodus 6. So in between the sign and Israel believing as a result of the sign, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not so easily convinced. He says, oh, you want to leave Egypt, huh? Well, I'll show you what. He tells his taskmasters, he says, stop giving the children of Israel straw, make them get their own straw, and, and, and make them do even more bricks. Make them get their own straw, Make them do more work, but you make them do it in the same amount of time. And if they don't do it, you beat them, and you beat them good. So this is what's happening. What do you think happened to the faith of Israel as a result of the sign? Flew right out the window. So we go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 8. Moses comes back to the children of Israel. Here's the promise God gives to to the children of Israel. Let's begin in verse 7. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses, this is the message Moses takes now again to the children of Israel. He goes back to them, but he's giving them now the word of the Lord. This is what God said he's going to do. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses. Why? Because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go. 
And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. All right, so the point is here. When Moses goes back, what, what has come out of the heart of the children of Israel? Their true nature has. Their unbelief, their hardness of heart has, has been manifest. So our condition reveals our need. God uses the tribulation of the world. You realize this is a promise of Jesus. John 16, In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. God uses the tribulation of the world to reveal and break through the hardness of our sinful heart. That is our true bondage. Do you realize? See, Israel's bondage wasn't the cruel taskmasters. God understood this. Their bondage was the hardness of their heart. It was the taskmasters that just caused that hardness to be revealed and manifest. If God would have kept doing signs and wonders, they'd have followed him for a while, right? How do we know that's true? For a while. Because we read the account in Exodus, they're in the wilderness for 40 years. God doing sign after sign after sign after sign. And guess what? Their hearts are still hard. We'd have been better off back in Egypt than out here with you in the wilderness, Moses. Oh, yeah, did you so soon forget the beatings you took from the Egyptians? Yeah, but at least in Egypt, we got to eat leeks and onions and we had meat pots. And, you know, they beat us, but we ate a lot better. (laughs) That's basically what they said. What does the New Testament say? It speaks of those whose God is their belly. What does that speak of? It's this flesh. Tribulation will reveal our heart. God uses the tribulation of the world to reveal the hardness of our sinful hearts so that we can come to understand our true bondage is not our outer circumstance. Our true bondage is our inward condition. This is where I'm bound. This is my bondage. It's in the hardness of my sinful heart that I've got to be free from. The only problem is I can't get free by myself. God reveals hardness in his children for the purpose of producing his fruit, for making manifest his grace and his hope. God wanted to manifest his grace in his people. God wants to manifest his grace in you, child of God. He wants to. He wants to manifest his hope in you. He wants to make manifest his grace and hope. This is what Romans 5, 3 through 8 is communicating. Paul says, we glory also in tribulation. Why would you glory in tribulation? Paul says, because tribulation is working something in me. It's working patience in me. Now, if tribulation is working patience in me, what does that say about my heart? Maybe that it's impatient. And if my heart is impatient, what does that say about my heart? Is there a level of hardness in my impatient heart? Well, God, you said, God, you Oh, wait a minute. Is my heart hard? Now, is God angry because my heart is hard? No, he's not angry because my heart is hard. He loves me. And so God allows tribulation to do what? To work on my hard heart. To produce something in me. To produce perseverance, patience. Which produces character. Whose character? God's character. The character of Christ, which produces hope. Which has been poured out in our hearts by the love of God, by His Spirit. See, God doesn't just afflict His people. The world is is afflicting us. But God allows that affliction of the world to do what? To produce something in us. Not to punish us. Not to pay us back. Please don't let that be the God that you worship. Because that's not who God is. Oh, there is a punishment for those who reject. But God's not punishing them because they... Listen, this is our condition. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. The The condemnation of the world is already set. He came to save a people 
and those of the world represented by Egypt and Pharaoh, the same tribulation can produce even greater hardness. But, but that is to the very same end, that the grace and the hope of God would be manifest. The harder Pharaoh's heart became, the more manifest God's grace became. The, the harder our hearts are seen, For what they truly are, I mean, when we really begin to see this was the point of giving the law. We're not going to cover that in this series. But the law was given to magnify, Paul says, our sinfulness. Why? Because when my sinfulness is magnified, guess what is also magnified? The grace of God. This is what Paul meant when he says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. The more my sin is magnified, the greater The grace of God is magnified because my need for his grace is seen more and more and more clearly when the hardness of my heart is seen for what it truly is, when my sinfulness is seen for what it truly is. So in everything God did in the children of Israel, even in hardening Pharaoh's heart, he was magnifying his grace and his salvation. God simply uses the hardness that already is because of sin to make known His grace. To make it known through who? Through the broken and through the hard. To make it known through His redeemed people and also through the hardened heart of Pharaoh. His grace was made known. The hardness of this world brings brokenness in God's people. To this end, to the end of grace. God resists the proud. Are we born proud? Yes, we are. Why would you say that, Pastor Jeff? Because the Bible says we're born in sin. There's none righteous. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It is... Jeremiah said it like this, your word is a hammer and a fire. (laughs) Doing what? Break. This is why the preaching of the gospel is so important. This is why it is so important for churches to preach the gospel because the gospel is the hammer of God that would break the hardness of hearts in sinful man. Me just tickling your ears and telling you it's all going to be okay, that's not going to do anything for you. Now you need to have hope. But you need to have hope where? In Christ. You need to have hope in the gospel. You need to have hope in a God that has an eternal plan. We're not operating on plan H, I, J, or K right now. There's only been and ever only will be one plan. It is Jesus Christ. That should give us comfort. Not a God who's reacting to our failings and then creating new plans every moment because we didn't do what? No, that's not the God of creation. That's not the God of the gospel. That's not the God of the scripture. That is not the Lord God Almighty who told Moses, you go and you tell them, this is my name. I am the self-existent, eternal God. I had a plan before time and space began. You can trust me. Put your faith in me. Don't put it in the signs because they're temporary. Put it in me because I'm eternal. So when Jesus, this is why Jesus responded to the Pharisees the way he did. When Jesus said, the only sign you adulterous and sinful generation is going to get is going to be the sign of Jonah. He knew exactly what those Pharisees were referring to. They were just like those elders of Israel before Moses. Show us a sign and we'll believe. It was this very same thing. Jesus said, no, because we'll get the same result you guys got back there in Egypt. And I didn't come to get that result. I'm not Moses. I am the one Moses spoke of. This isn't deliverance out of Egypt. This is deliverance out of your true bondage, which is sin and death. And I'm not going to give you a sign because I don't want you trusting in a sign. You must Trust in me. Why? Because I am the Lord. I am the curios. I am the self-existent, eternal Lord God Almighty. That's who Jesus declared himself to be. 
He said, you don't need a sign. You have me. Will you trust me? Church, you don't need a sign. You have him today. You have him. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? I mean, if God wants to give us a sign, he'll give us a sign. We got too many people in the church running around looking for signs, trying to create and manifest signs. And they're blind to the very one that stands in their midst. The very one that has come, who is the Lord, the Curios, the Lord God Almighty. So in spite of our condition called sin and death, in spite of the hardness of our hearts, God loved us first. God chose us first. That is grace. That's grace. In that way, listen to me, church, in that way, none of us are any different than Pharaoh. We were all born with hard hearts. The difference is I stand before you today by the grace of God. The only reason my heart is not as hard or harder than Pharaoh's heart is by the grace of God. The only reason your heart is not as hard or harder than Pharaoh's heart is because of the grace of God. That's it. The root of our condition, we go back to the very beginning. This condition called sin took root in the fall of man. When Adam fell, after Adam, all men were produced, what? In the likeness of Adam. In the very same condition that Adam, do you realize Pharaoh ultimately came from Adam? You trace Pharaoh's lineage, he goes all the way back to Adam, just like every human being. And he had the same nature as fallen Adam. And But by grace, we possess the very same nature as fallen Adam. So all are born into sin with hardness of heart. It's our natural condition. It's our nature in Adam. It's a law at work in the flesh. Romans 8, 2 calls the law of sin and death. This is what Paul says. He says, this is the law at work in me. It is the law of sin and death. God desires to deliver us from hardness of heart. God wants to deliver his people from the hardness of their heart. The only reason I've been delivered from hardness of heart, not that I don't still have hardness, because I do. And you know what? God knows how to use the tribulation of this world to work on my hardness, to break my heart. Not to punish me, not to make life miserable for me, but to bring me to the good future and the good hope that he has for me in his dear son, Jesus Christ. And that that hope and that grace would be manifest and known in this world, in this unredeemed, in this sinful world that is still awaiting the adoption, the redemption that is to come. So what's the solution to our condition? The solution is grace. The scripture declares our need of grace and God's promise of grace. Romans 3, 9 through 18, it's very clear there. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, all are under sin, all have fallen short, none are righteous, all have gone astray. Ezekiel eleven nineteen and Ezekiel thirty six twenty five. God prophesies through the man of God through Ezekiel, and he said, "I'm going to take your old stony heart and I'm going to give you a warm heart, a new heart." This is what God has done for us in Christ. When you were born again, church, God took your old heart of stone. It was as hard as a stone. God took that heart out of you and he gave you a new heart. He gave you a new spirit. He gave you a new nature. This is the picture that God is giving to us throughout the scripture. 1 Peter 1.10 says that the prophets prophesied of old. They prophesied of this grace. They Gave us the promise of this grace. Ephesians 2, 5 through 9, Paul boldly declares, by grace you are saved. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is the solution. Grace is God initiating salvation. Grace is redeeming the many Though it is not deserved, grace is abiding in the one who is our life. Where do you abide now, church? If you are redeemed today, where do you live? Where do you abide? Don't say Taylor, Texas. 
You live in Christ. You have your life in Christ. You abide in the one. There are many that are redeemed, but there is only one place that the many abide. It is in the life of the one. Grace is Christ, God's salvation. Grace is exalted. It is the glory of God in Christ. Amen? The solution to our condition is grace. And there is no grace apart from Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. We're going to talk next week about the promise. We're going to talk more about this promise of grace. And the promise God made to his children. Why it was... They should have had hope, hope in God, hope in the self-existent eternal one. Do you have hope today in the self-existent eternal God? Do you have hope in him? Has the tribulation of this world and you realize there is a tribulation in this world regardless of what you believe or I believe about a great tribulation, we live in the tribulation of this world. You may never have a gun pointed at your head demanding that you reject Christ. But in some way, in some form, in some fashion, we have all experienced the tribulation of this world, the hardness of this world, whether it be death or loss, Whatever it is. And it's real. And it's painful. And it's confusing. And it challenges us. And it challenges our belief and our faith. Because sometimes that pain is more real. That loss is more real than this God who has declared his name. Curios, the Lord God Almighty. But I'm telling you what, don't walk by sight, walk by faith. Don't walk by what you see, by what you feel. I don't care how painful it is. I don't care how raw it is. Don't walk by sight, walk by faith in the eternal self-existent one who is Lord, who is God Almighty who has had a plan before there ever was a beginning. (laughs) And if you are born again today, you are part of that plan. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your greatest joy, whatever it is, you're a part of that plan. And if you have been born again, you are born again by His grace. And I'm telling you, church, rejoice. Rejoice in that truth. Don't let the bondage of Egypt, don't let the anguish of spirit and the the cruelness of this world rob you of faith in Him. Don't Don't let it happen. Don't. Don't do that. This is why Paul said to the Colossians, get your eyes off these earthly things. Get them on Christ. Get them on things above where Christ is. Don't live in denial. Live in reality. But know that the greater reality is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty in you, the hope of glory. Not just Christ, not just a man who died on the cross. I'm talking about God, the glorious God of creation. He is in you. And He is your hope and He is your glory. And there's nothing of this world, there's not anything in Egypt that could have kept those people from their redemption. There would be. There was nothing, there is nothing that can keep you from what God has designed and planned for you. Trust in that. Hope in that. Look to that. Look to Him. Amen? Let's all stand.
I want to pray a prayer of dismissal, but before I do that, I want to, I want to pray over Sharon today. Today is Sharon's birthday. Amen? And I, I, I want to do this now, having said what I just said. And I'm not trying to, you know, give Sharon the big head. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I'm just going to be real honest. Um, Sharon probably makes a lot of people uncomfortable. You know who she makes more uncomfortable probably than anybody? Are Christians. She probably makes Christians more uncomfortable than she does people out in the world. Because so many Christians feel compelled because it's like, okay, well, um, we need to get her healed. Uh, what, what do we need to do to, to get Sharon healed? And what, what, what do I say to her, you know? Say to her whatever you'd say to anybody else. Love her the way you'd love anybody else. Treat her the way you'd treat anybody else. You're not responsible for her healing. God is. And what I love about Sharon is that Sharon does not let her condition rule her life. I mean, it, it, it does in a sense that she's got to live with the reality of it. You know, she's got to have a walker to walk. She can't do everything. I saw her the other day. We're transforming the sanctuary. Here's Sharon trying to pick up chairs and, and stack chairs. And the chair got the best of her and she fell down. But, you know, uh, Sharon didn't cry and say, oh, poor me. It's what I love about Sharon. And, and you know, in that sense, what I'm telling you, church, uh, here we have a perfect picture in the natural of, of what I'm talking about. So many Christians who have, who have so much more advantage than Sharon does allows things to handicap them just because they decide they're going to go through life having a pity party. And here is Sharon who has every reason, if anybody has a right to have a pity party in this room, I would say she's got as much right as anybody else. But I never see her having a pity party. And I'm not saying we can't have our pity parties. You know, go ahead and have a good cry. Sometimes we need to do that. You know, sometimes life gets us down. Just don't let it keep you down. Okay? And so I just so appreciate Sharon as an example. And I was thinking about this today. And, you know, I don't know why God allowed Sharon to, to get Parkinson's disease. She has it. And I don't know when or if God will heal her in this world. He may. He may not. But I do know this. I am absolutely sure of this, that God has used and is using Sharon's Parkinson to teach the body of Christ a lesson. And I'm not sure it's a lesson that we would learn apart from. See, this is the thing. We, none of us like tribulation, but the reality is we, we, we will not learn what we need to learn apart from tribulation. That, that's just a fact. The reason, uh, the reason a, a generation was able to go into the promised land is because a generation died in the wilderness. And I submit to you that generation that entered in probably would not have entered in had it, they not witnessed the reality of the generation that didn't get in because of their unbelief. And I'm telling you, church, what a wonderful picture of someone who walks by faith and not by sight. I just want us to stretch our hands. Just lay hands on Sharon. We're going to pray over her. Bless her on her birthday. Father, I thank you for Sharon. Lord, you know my heart wasn't to embarrass her or point her out for any other reason except to give glory and honor to you. Lord, because her faith does give glory and honor to you. And Lord, I am just so thankful that you brought her to Christ Fellowship. Lord, if for no other reason, she has taught me so much about my faith and about faith in God and about life. And Lord, I pray today that, Lord, everyone that calls himself a member of this congregation that comes here on a regular or semi-regular basis, I pray, Father God, that they will take the time to learn Lord, the lessons that you desire to teach us through lives such as Sharon Schwenker. Lord, we bless her today, this day celebrating, commemorating her birth. Lord, I'm so thankful that she was born. Thank you, 
And I'm so thankful that in your grace, you allowed her to be born in Taylor and live in Taylor and become a part of this body. I pray, Father, today would just be the most blessed and most wonderful day. Lord, I pray that she'll be able to spend it with the ones that she loves and, and just, Lord, be a blessing and, and receive blessing from those around her. Lord, I know she'll be a blessing, and I pray, Father, that we all will be a blessing to her. Lord, as we thank you for her life, Lord, we know it's not lost on you that she's suffering in her body. So, Lord, we call upon you as her healer. Lord, healing will come in your time, whether it's on this side of eternity or on the other. I don't know. But I know, Lord, and she knows she has the assurance that, Lord, she is whole in Jesus Christ. And I thank you that she has that assurance. And I thank you for the peace and the joy of the Lord that fills her life and that she is able to share with so many. We bless her today on her birthday. We give you thanks, Lord. And I pray, Lord, the words spoken here today, the message and the picture that you've given us in your word, God, would go beyond the surface of our lives into the depths of our heart and you would, by your Spirit, begin to reveal the truth that would set us free, the hope of our calling, the power, the exceeding greatness of the power that works toward us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your grace and what it has done, that it is truly sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we go, let's sing happy birthday. Amen. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Sharon, happy birthday to you, yeah. If you'd like prayer for any reason, please come and we will pray and believe God with you.